0: Missouri Valley Conference welcomes Mobilizing Voice for Change. I'm Kelly Burke, and we're very excited to launch this new initiative. We have four league voices joining me here today for a roundtable on race and social justice. And introducing everybody, we'll start with Gabby Walker, who is a rising senior on the women's basketball team at SIU and is studying biochemistry. Gabby is originally from St. Charles, Missouri. Gabby, welcome. We have Dana Ford, who is the head men's basketball coach at Missouri State. Coach Ford is also a husband and a father to five and an Illinois State basketball alum. Harry Schroeder is the founder of Valley Hoops Insider, the website and the podcast. He's called college and high school games all over St. Louis. And he's a dad and a husband as well and a longtime pastor in the St. Louis area. And Marcus Wilson is the college basketball analyst for Valley Hoops on ESPN. He's the 1999 Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year and a standout from Evansville. And he is the executive director of the YMCA, the Bayer YMCA in St. Louis, also a father and a husband. So welcome to all you four. Thank you so much for being here. And to start, we are now going on three months since the unspeakable deaths of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, of Ahmaud Arbery, to name a few. How do we continue to keep the dialogue and the movement that's been sparked since their deaths in the forefront of this country? And Marcus, let's start with you.
1: Well, well thank you. thanks again for having me. Um, I think most importantly is things like this is just to continue talking about it and not letting it become uh, what was trendy at the moment. You know, I worry sometimes about people, the people on social media posting some things and if they're just doing it just because it's the the kind of trendy thing to do, trends end. Uh, But I, I think that as long as you have people who are dedicated towards social justice and continue talking about those things and raising awareness and having the conversations in your own small circles, uh, this is a great platform, but also in your own communities when you're in your backyard and you're inviting friends over and you're having barbecues or a team events or uh, just in, in, in the areas where you're with people that you trust, where people can say what their true feelings are, even if they might not be popular feelings, but to be able to get those out and hear what the other side thinks and then try to be able to find the common ground. So I just think just continuing the dialogue and uh, continuing to push forward in all, in all aspects Uh, especially those of us who may have a larger platform where we can influence some others.
0: Gabby?
2: Um, I definitely agree with everything Marcus said. Um, I think especially from a student-athlete point we're all learning so keep educating us about it. Keep putting things in front of our face that we read, that we watch, that we see especially with some of us that, we're right, do have bigger platforms. Like, if we push that in front of people, people can't ignore it for so long. It can't be ignored forever. Um, but I really do feel like to keep that rolling is just to keep educating, especially from a student standpoint. Like, just keep pushing it. Keep making people understand that this is real, this is big, and it needs to change.
0: Coach Ford.
3: I completely agree uh, What what um... – Gabby and Marcus have said, I think, number one, you have to start off with the communication. Uh, I think that it's um, a, a situation where you can't shy away from the talks, especially if it's something that we're trying to change. And, uh, you know, for some, they call it, you know, tough conversations, uncomfortable conversations. And what what I try to teach is they shouldn't be tough conversations when, when we're talking about humanity. Uh, they shouldn't be uncomfortable conversations. They're, they're just... They're just honest, um, um, raw conversations, and those have to be had. They, they, they have to be initiated by those that feel enough courage and enough passion uh, to um, step up and, and say something, and, and that's something that I think is, is should be universal. It doesn't have to be one side as opposed to the other, and I, I just think that it, it, if it touches your heart, you need to continue to, communicate about it. And, 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 and like Gabby mentioned, what, what that communication does is it educates uh, people who may not know a lot about it, who may not have been interested about it. And, and once you get that, that education piece, now what what starts to happen is you may start to get some transformation. You you may touch the heart of an individual who really uh, has a lot of power and a lot of weight and a lot of, um, a, a, a large amount of ability to change things, that individual may be touched by someone's story or that individual may be touched by hearing something uh, or or maybe even be able to relate. And so I think once you start that education process, now you open up the opportunity for transformation. And, and that's just basically what I think we need a lot of, we, we need a lot of change in, in regards to, um, you know, how, how things have gone on, uh, especially in the past. And, and um, it, it's not, you know, everyone's not going to be changed by this. But, but I do think that this is the best opportunity to change as many hearts as probably any time that, that I can remember in, in my short life. So uh, I, I would totally agree with, with both, both these guys. Harry.
4: Yeah, I agree. And, and and I'm kind of in a different spot a little bit. I, it, when all of this stuff bubbled up all over again, you know, here in St. Louis, we've had a lot of trauma the last six years, you know, and, and starting back in 2014 with the Michael Brown shooting, uh, it it's launched me into kind of a, a, a long period of time of trying to learn. And, and so these guys have all talked about communicating and having conversations and, and where it really started for me in a fresh way six years ago was trying to learn was trying to listen more than talk, if you know what I mean. Like I, I had to have some speaking in, in, involved in it as well. But it, but it launched us in our little community into a learning process. Like I, I didn't understand some of the hurt, some of the wounds, some of the history that is so prevalent for some of the people uh, in our nation. And so for us, it's, it's been a, a long journey of scratching back and trying to clear the debris out of the way so that, so that we actually could learn and, uh, and one of the phrases we use around here is listening, learning, and lamenting. I think sometimes we, we, we don't even empathize with what's going on, so therefore I don't have a heart to change. And so for me, it's been a long learning process the last six years or so, and obviously in the last three, four months, like you said, Kelly, it's, it's just fresh all over again. And uh, the other thing I would say is that we're somewhat proactive uh, in our community here to try to get engaged in the community in practical ways. Like I know Coach Ford really has done and and I've seen Marcus do as well. And we get engaged and and engage in the conversation and engage in doing things that maybe can bring people together and do things together. And so those are the things I think about it quite a bit.
0: Speaking of communication and and listening and learning, what have the conversations of, of race and social justice looked like on your own teams in your own church and at your own jobs and gabby let's start with you
2: um coach Don has done a wonderful job as soon as all this started happening um she immediately had a zoom meeting with us and she was like hey so i know this is probably impacting a lot of you some of you differently than others let's talk about it she made it an open very honest floor to let us know that we're safe to talk about how we're feeling about everything. Um, On top of that, it's always been, our team has always been somewhere where people can feel safe to be themselves or be very diverse. On top of that, us girls took it upon ourselves to even talk to each other. Like our captains made it very clear, like, hey, a lot of this stuff that's going on impacts a lot of our players differently. We talked about it even without Coach Stein. We also made it very clear that none of the stuff that's going on, including like any kind of racism, um, inequality being shown towards anything that's different on any of the girls on our team is unacceptable and will be nipped in the bud immediately. So we basically just strengthened our foundation as a team and we also made it an open floor so we can have those honest conversations. So people feel comfortable and feel safe and don't really have to hide their family. Basically.
0: Coach Ford.
3: You know, it's uh, it's obviously been a, a, a topic of conversation and as coaches, we're fortunate enough to where we have relationships with all different types of races, all different types of people. And so uh, our perspective is, is pretty wide. And, and when you start talking about a team, um, obviously, you know, in, in order to be the best team you can be, you have to accept one another. And so it, it really opens up the doors for us to have this conversation in a very comfortable setting. And um, I, I don't think there's any secret that a ma- majority of the student athletes that, that we coach in, in, in men's basketball in particular – are you know african American males and and so uh, it, it's for for a coach it, it's a it's the perfect opportunity to not only educate um, uh, uh, those males that are on your team but also their teammates that may not be african American and, and 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 get the response of empathy because they actually care about their teammate and so uh, what we what try to do is Like everything, we try to tell the truth. We try to be honest. And what we try to do is obviously elevate the problem, the issue, uh, put put it on the forefront, and and, and have those conversations about maybe how someone is feeling, how someone's been treated, and, and then even give guys the opportunity if they wanted to show empathy towards guys who feel like they have been discriminated against, whether it be... Earlier in their lives, whether it be a loved one, and and just continue to uh, increase the bond that we have for one another, and and you know what I've found is that the the young men on our team and our program that are that are that are not African American, they're just as passionate about trying to help and change this situation as as I am. Right, being an African American male uh, trying to lead and direct. People into the future, so you know, for us uh, being a part of a team, it almost comes second nature to actually care about the person next to you, and uh, what what I think our next step will be as a program is is trying to get that to leak outside of our locker room, and, and we've started a program here in town that that puts us in the middle of the community, so uh, it's it's not as difficult when you coach this generation on this subject because the, the, the truth of the matter is as you, as you get further and further away from slavery and segregation and, and Jim Crow, the, the, other, the other races start to get closer to the one that feels as if they have been slighted. And, and, and I'm seeing a lot of that in today's student-athletes as to where maybe even 20 years ago, you may not even have this type of uh, togetherness inside your locker room. So um, that has been one of the more easy things to, to do in regards to this subject. But like I said, I think the real challenge becomes how do you get that feeling that you have in your locker room from one another to leak outside into your community and hopefully pass your community into your state into the nation. And, and so I think that that's the next challenge for our, for our program.
0: Gary.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, in my situation, you know, I, am kind of in, in multiple worlds, you know, we're covering the sports world and, and doing all that. And then I also help pastor a church. And so one of the first things I did was call Marcus. I said, Hey, we need to talk about some of this stuff. And we had a long conversation and podcast that we tried to address some of these issues, S- stodgy old white guy. And, Hip, really cool black guy, you know, and, and, and talking about these things. And we had a great time. We had tons of people responding to that those conversations. And so at that level, I'm trying to address it that way. Uh, in our church, you know, I preached a sermon recently, and my opening words to the sermon was, I am not woke. I do not understand what's going on. And, we, and let's openly talk about some of these things that, that are a struggle. And of course, we have police officers in our church and African American people in our church. And so it's, it can be very heightened, right? And so we have to talk very frankly and very honestly and very lovingly in all of those ways. And and so, uh, and then we have to get proactive, right? As, as Dana was just saying, we have to leak out into our community. Like for example, uh, last week we were cleaning out a coffee house in Ferguson that's trying to get up and running in, a, in the African-American portion of Ferguson. Ferguson, there's kind of a white Ferguson and a black Ferguson and uh and so try to get our feet on the ground in some of those places and uh tomorrow night i'll be praying at a, at a there's a nationwide thing called pray on mlk and hundreds of cities across the country there'll be people praying along the street wherever there's a martin luther king drive and and so we have to also get outside of our church building not just out of dana's locker room you know and and, and get out there and try to do something proactive like i said i know dana is super engaged there in springfield i've watched some of the things he's doing and And Marcus is just amazing in the stuff that he's doing. And so we, like our church, our community is 97% white. And so I've got to, you know, nudge people that it's just outside their comfort zone. And so that's my job is to disrupt comfort zones. Marcus. Yeah, um, I'm going
1: to try to keep this short because I could talk about this forever. Um, I think just to build off of... One of the things I love about sports, and Dana talked about this, is, um, you know, in the team locker room, you get to talk about things. There's, there's, a, there's a camaraderie there, and I'm sure Gabby can speak to it, but there's no other time in my life where I've been with 12 other people where we felt like, now, I'm not saying all of us were best friends, but when coach puts you on the line and you got to run sprints, man, you're in that together, and you start to develop that, and there's conversations that happen in the locker room that other people just don't have because they don't have that camaraderie, right? And so, teams can have intimate conversations. Then you have friends at work and you go through diversity classes and let's be honest, people are scared to say the wrong thing. You say the wrong thing, in a diversity class at work or on social media, you're gonna get attacked and you're gonna get fired. And so now people are holding in what they really think. So to get to your point, I think what I've been talking to people about is, I've been lucky enough that I work in Uh, 99% African American community here in in St. Louis, a very poor community. I live in the suburbs of St. Louis. So I get a chance to see both sides every day. And then, you know, I have some really good friends who feel comfortable asking me, Marcus, why are people rioting? Um, Marcus, I don't understand this, you know, and excuse me if I say something wrong. And I give them space to say something wrong because I, I, I have a little grace to say, I understand that you, you may not understand everything, but that's why you're asking me, right? You're not coming at me to uh, impose your, your, your view. You're telling me. And so, like, what I've done is I've tried to make people understand. And coach, coach can testify to this. 20, 30 years ago, you could tell people something and just tell them to accept it. Kids nowadays want to know why. Coach, the coach says, hey, you can't shoot threes. Kids back in the day wouldn't shoot threes. Now, now coach has to say, you can't shoot threes because you're shooting 20%. And these three guys over here shoot 40%. You better add a why to that. And so as we're talking about racism, same thing, like you say systemic racism and people are like, oh, that's just an excuse. No, let me explain to you why that is affecting decisions that are going on and consequences that are going on in, in with and with Ahmad Arbery and with George Floyd and things like that. And so I talked to people about redlining. Right. How redlining is still affecting our communities today of low property value Then you have low property value and part of systemic racism is property values fund schooling. So if we know that we created neighborhoods where there's low property values and then property values fund schooling. And then we know people who can't uh, who graduate with lower uh, educational rates are going to make less money and tend to make, you know, more likelihood, according to statistics to be incarcerated and make less money. Well, then that's systemic racism, recreated that environment and explain it to people. So now they don't look at it like, oh, people in that neighborhood are just making bad decisions. They, 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 they're not, you know, they, they don't want anything better for themselves. This has been going on for years, guys. And then you start to explain that to people. And they're like, wow, I never thought about it like that. So as Coach Dana Ford was saying earlier, people have to want to be educated. We're taught certain parts of our history in school. The parts that aren't taught, the Jim Crow laws. The redlining, some of the things that, things I just mentioned, those aren't taught. So if people want to understand and empathize, empathy comes through understanding. And so therefore you have to be willing to be taught. And so I talk to people about property values, redlining, about how crime really started to skyrocket as well when there was the law that uh, single women could not receive welfare if there was a man in the home. That started to break up a lot of our urban community families. So now young men are growing up without a man in the household of how to how to be a man. Young women are growing up without a man in the household showing them what it's like a man in this house, how they're supposed to treat their mom and a woman. And, they're in, and there's women out there that had to put the, the father out of the household in order to receive welfare to make ends meet. That's systemic racism to me, right? And as you start to explain that to people, and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to Google that. Well, that's where we come in. If we have that knowledge that we can continue having those conversations and so that's what i've tried to do is know the history i don't attack people with it harry told you in our conversation sometimes people you know people are like it's not my fault i never owned slaves i'm not saying it's your fault i'm you asked why we're in this situation i'm going to give you some of the knowledge as to why we're here and then you can digest that and do what you want to do with it so for me personally like i said all of us with the platform i think it's our obligation to know the history. To know what has caused some of the situations we're in and then to talk people talk to people with an even keel non-judgmental t- tone and allow them to process and how they can.
0: Marcus but, you, you literally oh, oh
3: somebody. so I was going to just piggyback yeah. what Marcus yeah, go
0: ahead. Said. Go ahead.
3: I think I think in order to understand this subject the best in today's world is you have to understand that number one it's no one's individual fault that we are where we are, meaning no one here created the history that's trying to be overcome, okay? The, the, the fault comes in if you decide to deter those efforts of those who are trying to change it. And I, I think one of the things that I've always tried to educate individuals on is this, if, if, you, if you don't want to help this cause, then you should probably not interfere with it because it's such a frustrating subject for a lot of people. And it's one of those emotional um, topics because what it does is it, it impacts the people who paved the way for you to be who you are today. So for example, a guy like myself, when I hear when I hear uh, people say, you know, you had the same opportunity I did to be successful, well, that's not true because my grandmother, she had to quit middle school when she was in the eighth grade, due to uh, the, the the financial hardships of her family, in order to start helping her parents raise her smaller siblings due to circumstances even out of their control which dates back to their ancestors and so for someone who 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 hasn't had to have that story i don't think you can attack me in the sense of saying you know we both started on home base right i mean we we didn't both start on home base and and so i I think that that's what has to be understood sorry that's my son i'm sorry I think that's what has to be understood uh, in, in regards to why this is such a passionate subject to, to most people, and why you can't just attack this thing uh, with 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 a, with a misunderstanding. Of, I'm sorry, with a misunderstanding of where everyone is coming from, and, and so and, and those conversations can go south really fast because m- some people feel guilty, but but. The, okay, one of my best friends in town is the son of a of a doctor. Well, it, it's not his fault that, that 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 his dad is a doctor, but but at the same time, uh, it, it doesn't mean that my my I may not have become a doctor. I may have become uh, um, uh, uh, a nurse or or, or doctor's assistant but my story may be just as successful as the obstacles that I had to overcome to do that. And so I just think that it has to be more of an understanding that that we all have different stories, and, and that's okay, as opposed to saying we all have the same story, because we don't. And in a locker room sometimes we get the privilege of hearing other people's story and seeing where they came from. It's no different than a guy on our team who maybe averaged three points a game last year. And we had a guy who was an all-league player last year. But the next year, he repeated as an all-league player. But that guy who averaged three points a game, he jumped up to nine or 10. Well, we may be happier about that guy jumping up to nine or 10 because of the things that he's overcome as opposed to that other guy who was already an all-league player, if that makes any sense. So it's just understanding that everyone has a different story on how they have gotten to where they are. And and it's, again, it's no one's fault. It's no one's fault. But if you want things to change, then it will be your fault if you try to deter those efforts. And so uh, I think, you know, just piggybacking on on what Mark said, that's why it gets so emotional because it's a defensive thing and, and people feel guilt. Well, there's no guilt, okay? There's no guilt. But at the same time, we do want to make things better.
2: Thanks. Kayla. Can I take it back off of that real quick? It's a yeah. short one. Go ahead. Um, which I love the fact of like, everybody has a different story. That is exactly what it is. Um, but the other thing is in order to get change, well, there's people that end up feeling guilty. And then there's people that are on the other spectrum Well, it's like, well, that's not my story. It's not my problem look how many people in the world who don't care. I'm one person, my problem. I have literally had, I don't go on social media a bunch and put out my viewpoints just because I rather have face-to-face conversations so somebody can hear and get my tone of voice. I feel a lot of things get lost whenever I post on social media. Um, I've had to call out a couple people that have posted, I can't stand this it's not my problem I didn't own slaves my ancestors didn't own slaves like I all of this stuff and I'm like that's not that's not what we're talking about I was like you have a story I have a story and a million other people have their own individual stories just like you have a fingerprint you have a story that's unique to you what we're saying is as a collective group there has been oppression slavery hurt and a lot of things you can Just because you personally did not do it or someone personally went against you does not mean you're not part of the problem, does not mean you can't help the problem or make the change. That exact mindset based on, oh, it's not my story, oh, it's not my problem, is why we have such long-lasting problems anywhere. If you finally take up the responsibility of being like, I want to make a change, that's when change starts to happen. That's, that's all I wanted to piggyback
4: off of. Well, if I could just throw in a thought, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to our people about this idea that white people re rebel, they recoil at this whole idea of white privilege, right? I don't know. I, well, I wasn't privileged in any way. I mean, that's what they say. And so I really attacked that one day with our people just saying, listen, white privilege is real. And so what do we do? I, I've been privileged. What do I do with that privilege now? Like in the Old Testament, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can bless others. If I've been privileged, then I had to exercise that privilege in an offensive way to change this scenario, to make things different, to get engaged and get involved. And so I have a different, like you guys are all saying, we all have different stories. But if my story is one of more privilege for whatever reason, um, the, the reality is, is I need to utilize that to make this thing better and different.
0: Thanks, Harry. And, and to, to follow up on, on what you just brought up, how do how do we help white people like myself, like Harry, understand the role they play and the power they have to fundamentally change racism? Marcus, why don't we start with you?
1: Man, that's, you're asking some good questions, Kelly. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure how I don't have all the answers. Right. I always, you know, I'm I'm the chair of diversity for the St. Louis YMCA region, so we cover a large area. And I and I tell people all the time. People ask me to come in and give my story, and I say I'm telling the story from Marcus Wilson. I'm not speaking for every Black person in America or every Black woman in America. Everybody has their own. However, um, I will use the example of recently in the last, and Harry and I talked about this about three months ago, about six months ago. I think that if people posted hashtag Black Lives Matter on social media, it came with a certain stigma. Some people, not everyone, this is general, thought it was a militant thing or whatever. After Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Amy Cooper, George Floyd, people started posting Black Lives Matter. And it was driven by the white population, really. If you started seeing a lot of these riots, I mean, not riots, those two, but if you started seeing a lot of protests, it was 50-50 in terms of race. And a lot of white people started posting hashtag Black Lives Matter. And so we had a discussion here at at my organization a few weeks, a few months back where it was like, how do we get more women into leadership? And I compared to this, like, well, the majority has to make the decision that they're going to start getting women into leadership. I mean, the minority has been asking for equality for a while. The, eventually, the, the majority can push it along a much fat, at a much faster rate than the person uh, than the minority asking for equality. And so, it's the same thing when it comes to race. I think recently, and the reason Coach Ford and many of us have said, and he said this is the most, uh, the best opportunity he's seen in his life, and I can I can say that as well. Is I've never seen this many white people wanting to be a part of the change when we saw. Uh, George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. And everyone was traumatized by that. We saw that in 2014 with Eric Garner and felt the same thing. For some reason, it didn't hit home with the majority then. But it still, it hurt me to watch that. And so the majority has now, it's caught their attention. And when I say the majority, white America. So I just think that as, as, we can keep talking about it, but there also needs to be conversations happening in white communities with people like yourselves who believe in the mission, talking to your friends who don't understand and who are still saying, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe this exists. Well, if you can start to influence yourself, I mean, your own community, and then we keep talking, I think that the, the momentum will continue to flow. So I think it's a little bit of everything. There is no one answer. If we all had the one or two answers, uh, Martin Luther King, when it came and got that Done in a, in a few years. It's a, it's a work in progress, but I do think it's 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 a lot of it's positive to see the majority of white America wanting to get behind it, and I think that's going to help move 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 it along.
0: Dana,
3: you know I think it, it goes back to to what what Gabby just mentioned. You know when you when you look at today's generation. Uh, they they don't sit on the sideline, maybe like my generation or or even or even harry's they 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 do not sit on the sideline and watch the oppressed be oppressed, the abused be abused they they have this level of courage that they want to make things better each each generation wants to make things better in their point of view and, and so i what i what I think is what what we're seeing is exactly. Uh, the answer to your question is we we all, we're all leaders. Okay. Someone is following everyone, whether it be in my example, my team, my son, my brother, uh, someone is looking up to everyone and and wherever you're leading that person is going to determine, you know, where they go. And, and, And when it comes to this subject, all of us, all of us, we're leading someone, we all have influence and if if we can continue to, to take that influence and move it in the right direction, then, then I think that that's the best way to help this cause and And um, you know, I, I think the biggest obstacle to get over is that you will still have some who will lead this subject in the wrong direction. but what we're seeing, due to the the, the evolution of of mankind, is that there are more people leading this cause in the right direction. It's like I mentioned earlier, in in, in our locker room, a majority of our non-African-American players are the ones most passionate about making things better. And and I just think that that group of influence, which is a lot bigger than the African-American community, because you know, I've said this in the past, if the African-American community could make it better, they would have done it 300 years ago. <laughs> they wouldn't wait till today to do that. And so I, I think what's starting, what you're starting to see is you're starting to see uh, different races, including uh, uh, the Caucasian race, in which it's now becoming important that they use their influence to lead people in the right direction. And And in my personal opinion, the right direction is, uh, treating everyone with love and respect. I think that that would solve a lot of these issues. Even as a head coach being in a position of authority, I have to treat my players with respect. I have to love my players. Same, same thing goes with a with a police officer. He has to do his or her job, but they can do it with a level of respect. And, and, and I don't think anyone would disagree with the handling of uh, a George... A George Floyd situation that, that I don't think they handled him with respect. And whether or not they, they had to arrest him or not arrest him, there's still a respectful way to do that. And, and I think that a lot of times, older generations, they, they, they don't have the heart of today's generation. And, and today's generation is a lot more loving. And, 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 and like I said, that's the way... That, that it can continue to change, because now you have um, individuals from all over the world, uh, uh, individuals from all over our country, starting to feel the same type of way in regards to the direction they want to lead, and a lot more empathy being shown, and when, when that becomes contagious with the masses, then, then that's exactly how, how we're going to get down that road even further
0: you—you, you, I mean, you mentioned love and respect and, and you brought up the police for a second. And right now there's, there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of tension in this country with regards to law enforcement. Some of it's warranted, some of it is not. What can we do to help bridge that divide? And, and your program in particular has started something that's phenomenal in the Springfield community, the, the Bears badges and basketball days. So if you, if you could talk a little bit to that too.
3: Absolutely, and 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 I'll say this: I have learned so much. We, we've had two of them. We do them the the last Saturday of every month, and I and myself have learned so much. And let let, let me begin by this: I've mentioned this in a in a in a uh, interview here, here locally. The rela- relation, see, relationships with law enforcement is something that is out in plain view most of the time, meaning all of us have some type of understanding of what a police officer's job is, but, but systemic racism goes way deeper than that. And and Marcus touched on some of those things earlier, but, but, but what happens is it's just like running a program. Most coaches are judged on game night, but it's so much more to running a program than game night. Right. You have to graduate your players. You have to develop them on the floor, off the floor, uh, uh, social skills, uh, mental health. There's a lot of other things that go into running a program. But law enforcement is just on the, the, the forefront. So they get a blunt of the judgment in regards to relations. Right. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around. Okay. Uh, I I will say this, what I've learned from most law enforcement officers that we've had dealings with, with our program, if you ask them why they decided to become a police officer, their number one question, I mean, excuse me, their number one answer is to help people. That's their number one answer, okay? So I, I think initially, what, what we have to understand in terms of a law enforcement officer, in order for a law enforcement officer to help certain people, they're going to hurt other people. Now, the, the, the thing about it, the thing that becomes so disappointing in, 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 in my eyes with law enforcement is they have to understand that life and death literally is in the palm of their hand, meaning most of them are armed. So some of the mistakes that you and I can make, they just can't make, okay? And see, I heard Conzo Martin say a quote one time. Um, It it was something to the effect of uh, a position of power, someone who has a position of power who does not have any empathy is very dangerous. And a lot of times, uh, uh, our law enforcement, some of our law enforcement officers, they have that position of power because they are an authority figure. But at the same time, they lack empathy trying to get a job done. And see, you can't, you, can't, you can't make that mistake because you're dealing with people's lives, right? If I had a lack of empathy one time and, and I just decided to run my team for three hours straight and, and someone ended up passing away, I should be held accountable for that. I mean, that's, that's someone's life at stake or if I make a decision to put my team on a private plane after midnight just to get home for class and something happens, God forbid, I should be held accountable for that. And so it's one of those situations to where when you take that opportunity or you, you, you accept that opportunity to be someone that's supposed to serve and protect, you now have a higher standard to be held accountable to. And I don't think that that part ever registers with the majority of police officers nationwide. Uh, you see uh, in some instances an abuse of power for the simple fact that uh, they've had to deal with some of the world's worst individuals. Okay, that, that's we no one can deny that. But at the same time, there are way more good people in our country than there are bad people. But 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 the problem becomes when you're under the spotlight, there are certain mistakes you cannot make because people's lives are at risk. And it should it should get the attention that it gets. But at the same time, in order for all of this to change, we need all the areas of systemic racism to get the same attention, whether it be the redlining that Marcus mentioned, whether it be education opportunities through standardized testing, uh, whether it be uh, uh, not, not just, not just the, um, the, our, our police officers, they, they get, a, they get a, a blunt of it. But how about uh, the sentencing of African-American males for the same crimes that maybe a non-African-American male or female had? I mean, it, it, the list literally can go on and on and on. But, but I do believe in our city of Springfield, what I've learned is most law enforcement officers want to help. And so what we have to understand is, like I mentioned before, to keep us safe, sometimes things can get wild and things can get crazy, but they signed up to keep people safe. They did not sign up to to cost people their lives. And so you've got to be able to keep us safe without causing someone to lose their life even if removing that person from a situation can keep us all safe. And and, and it's just a situation in which you have to be trained to do that. You have to accept the training. And there has to be some level of empathy as you do your job, some level of respect as you do your job in order to be able to fulfill that uh, a higher percentage of the time. Anytime you look at the statistics and you see African-American males uh, dying at the hands of police officers, whether it be two to one or three to one, that is that's that is not okay. That is not okay, and um, and, 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 and especially when you have situations where uh, unarmed African Americans are losing their lives. Um, that 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 is that is hard to believe. That 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 is hard to fathom um, when when you have. Uh, 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 three, four, five officers, and one unarmed African-American lose his life. That, that, is, that is hard to fathom, and, and that should never never be the case. So um, we, we've got to think logically about it, but at the same time, when you sign up for that, you've got to be held at a higher standard. It's no difference between myself and and, and Gabby on the call. Gabby can afford to make a certain mistake. She, she's young and she's learning life as a student. I can't make that same mistake as her coach. I should be held to a higher standard. And, and that's the same thing that, that, that we must do and our law enforcement officers must not only understand, but they have to accept that, that they're held at a higher standard.
0: Thanks, Dana. Harry, uh, if you could speak to this a little. I know you've been involved with, with local law enforcement there in, in the St. Louis community recently.
4: Yeah, you know, I mentioned we were in Ferguson cleaning up a, 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 a coffee house. And then the next day we visited, a uh, well, two days in a row, then we visited some police departments and brought them snacks, food, and thank you letters. You know, we, I, t- I honestly was taking a cue from Dana's thing. You know, I want to, I want to be engaged everywhere. Right. You know, we've been downtown. I've been in the, at the riots and the protests and been at police stations. You know, I, I, I think what we failed to do, and I love how Dana used the word empathy, I think what we fail to do is see people as individuals. Even today, you know, we are all wearing masks all the time. And if you go to a a, a protest tomorrow night somewhere, the people are going to mask hoods, face, you know, the police are going to have shields, face masks, everything. We've ceased being human beings to one another. And, and, And so we do have to change. We have to change and see each person, regardless of color or whatever, they're individual people. I talked to one police officer and and I asked him about the Minneapolis thing I said what did you see what went wrong and he said those other guys standing around uh, he said they didn't do their job he said Harry when you're in a hot pursuit now that didn't look like a hot pursuit to me in, in terms of watching that video but he said when you're engaged in that you'll lose it sometimes and your backup guys need to help you and he said Harry in the midst of a difficult situation I had to be a guy that pulled somebody off of another guy. And there were times when I had to have somebody pull me off because we need teamwork. We need to see each other as individuals and have that empathy and protection that, that Dana is talking about. And and, and so, yeah, we're, we're trying to attack it on all fronts, you know, in, in, in our situation and, and, and really get engaged with police officers and really get engaged in the streets. You know, uh, as we're taping this, it's the 7th of August, I think. On the 8th of August, I'm a Proverb a day guy and in, and in Proverbs 8, it says we can learn wisdom in the streets. And so we're trying to get into the streets so we can learn more and and get engaged with people. So we learn and participate, you know, in, in certain ways. And so, yeah, we're trying to attack it on all fronts personally and as a church and, you know, those kinds of things.
0: Gabby, anything you want to add?
2: I do. Um, I love what both Harry and Dana said. Um, Dana is right. I can't make the same mistakes as him. And I can get away with it a little bit more because I am learning. But um, things that I notice with like police force, like one, I know I'm a, I'm a Black person. I'm, I'm well aware of my skin color. I see myself in the mirror almost every day or there's some kind of reflective surface. I like to myself, so. But I still wave to police officers. I understand that the few don't always represent the many. That's never true. Look at religion. There are extremist groups that don't represent the entire religion. They're a sect. That's all they are. Black people with race, with color, everything. What I think should honestly happen is, one, more job training. There are so many kids that are just pushed through this, like, through the police academy system. And then given the sense of, hey, you're in charge. I don't know if anybody else has siblings, but whenever mom and dad said I was in charge, I was a brute. That sometimes happens with people. It's a psychology thing. Like if you are told that you were in power and you were in charge, you kind of get a stigma. Not all people do. And then another thing is how about part of job training for police officers Take off your uniform and go out to the communities that you patrol. Go walk the street and other than just having a badge on. That way they aren't intimidated by you because they don't know what you're going to do. And you're not intimidated by them because there isn't that tension anymore. I think community outreach programs with officers is a huge way to bridge this. And I also think encouraging people in the community to engage in law enforcement Um, there's a comedian, I can't remember the name, and I just remember sitting and watching like their comedy show, having a great laugh, but something really caught my eye. They were like, you can't put a sheep in the middle of a lion's den and expect that sheep not to feel anything. I'm looking at a lion and I'm a sheep. I'm going to think it's aggressive immediately. If you take someone that's not used to that culture, not used to that community, and you put them in the middle of that community, you're going to have conflict. That is just a misunderstanding. But say it's someone who has been in the community, knows what the community is about, understands it, put them in that same community. Now, oh, they don't look as aggressive. Oh, it's just someone doing this. Okay, it's a kid walking from the store who stole rellos. Hey, give me the rellos, go apologize, or I'm gonna tell your aunt. Do it again. Okay, now we have to go downtown. I know multiple officers from not only here, but also back home where I am in St. Louis, St. Charles area, that watched some of my friends get in trouble. There's a certain way that you act, but there's a certain way that you don't act. It's all, all depends on the thing, all that depends on the person and how they interact with the community. I've seen newbies completely shoot off of, like shoot off a of bad inf- like information. Like, kid will say something, immediately there's a snapback, retort and you're like, you didn't have to do that. I've also see, but that's where it comes in with the teamwork. Like, being said you have to sometimes pull someone off of somebody else and sometimes you need to be pulled off of like someone and have diversity in the force and having information and communication being i think different viewpoints make it really easy i know i'm probably talking a circle but different viewpoints make it a lot easier to control a lot of these situations whereas i like i said like if you put a bunch of sheep in the middle of lions all the sheep are going to be like, yeah, that was really aggressive. Yeah, you definitely did the right action. Whereas you have that one line that's like, yo, just chill out. He's not going to eat you. Let's, let's back up and let's look at it a different way. I just think community outreach programs, understanding your area that you are actually patrolling and just getting to know the people around you is like a really big way you could bridge this whole like police and like insert, like institutional racism and all that kind of stuff.
0: Thanks, Gabby. Marcus,
1: I'll, I'll be brief uh, on this. I think that uh, we we all know that, like, and, and Coach Ford mentioned this earlier, that oftentimes um, African Americans have have gotten tougher sentences, uh, and uh, we know that we've had adverse experiences with police officers. I have almost every black person I know has felt like they've been profiled at some point or something, and so, and when I teach diversity classes. One thing I say is you have to ask people why they feel a certain way. If I if I talked to a white person they said they didn't like black people and I said okay why and they said well every day on my way to school from middle school through high school these four black kids used to beat me up every day. I probably wouldn't like black people either if I got beat up every day but you know like like now you have to understand this is their experiences and now we have to try to create positive experiences. I use that example for that so if we know that there have been, there's been a history of profiling and a history of unjust um, harsher sentences and and police brutality in the community. Instead of just saying we gotta hope that it gets better, we have to create more touch points. So when we have programs like what these men are doing, we need more of those. I I try to bring like a a police ice cream truck here. The right now, oftentimes, unless you have programs like what they're running, The only time many African-American people are having interactions with the police is in negative situations. If you're only experiencing negative situations with people, you're going to have a very bad perception of them. So if we know that, we have to find more programs and put government dollars behind creating more positive experiences. I don't know if it's midnight basketball leagues, like Gabby said, it's the police versus people in the community. I don't care what it is. I'd, I'd be in support of, creating opportunities where the police and the public can now see each other because at the end of the day the police officers always say I got a family I want to go home too everybody wants to go home right the problem is and Gabby touched on this as well I think uh we just don't do enough in emotional intelligence training and that's a whole nother uh subject that I could talk about for about an hour but uh you know, I, I see people and we all know people who are very strong in the church and they're spiritually there and they, they work out and they're, and they're physically there and they got four master's degrees and they're mentally there. You call them out their name and they'll throw it all away because emotionally, they're not equipped to handle those situations. And what I've seen in the example of some of these police brutality and in some of these murders that we've seen is a police officer was in the moment and, and emotionally, could not make an emotionally intelligent decision. That needs to be part of our training process. And if we know that's happening, like we talked about Rashad, or we haven't talked about Rashad Brooks in Atlanta. The man was sleeping in his car. He had been drinking. Got into a scuffle. They had his his car, his license plate, his driver's license. They could have picked him up within 24 hours. They knew, they had everything they needed to go find him. But emotionally in the moment, it was Let's pull the gun out and we're going to shoot. That's just an emotionally poor decision. And coaches teach that to their players when they say toughness isn't punching the kid back. Toughness is keeping your eyes on the prize, even while, the, you know, when other obstacles come up. I just think oftentimes we get police officers that lose sight of what Dana said, their original goal was in those situations, and we have to do a better job of training them to do so. And, and to add
3: on to what they mentioned, so I think what everyone is saying, and this is the basis of our program, and, and, and Pastor Brett Fuller, who's with the NABC, has an awesome video out that, that I think everyone needs to take a look at, and, and basically, identification can lead to uh, reconciliation, and, and that's really what we're, what we're striving for. Uh, you know, we're all fighting for justice, but sometimes justice won't fix the problem. Right. That that's what like today's youth, they're fighting for reconciliation. They want to make it right, as opposed to maybe generations before myself where they wanted to get uh, uh, equal rights. They, they wanted justice. They wanted things to be fair. Today's generation, not only do they want things to be fair, right, they, they want things to change wholeheartedly and be better. And you must identify that is the main reason why our bears badges and kids we literally take it to their neighborhood our very first um, our very first session was at the apartment complex in our town that receives the most calls a year from our local pd and we had about 10 officers there one in uniform the other nine We're in a group mixed up with the kids. And when we started the day, our police chief said, point to the police officers that are here. And every kid pointed to the one that was in uniform. They had no idea that they were actually playing basketball with other officers. But not only that, the officers got an opportunity because I allow for the parents to be involved. The officers got an opportunity to see how these kids were being parented. And a couple kids were getting out of line, and mom and dad were were pretty hard on them. And so what the officers have to understand is uh, most kids growing up in an African-American community are growing up with a complete different teaching of what discipline is, what authority is, than maybe they are, or what they believe it should be. So that identification is key. And we both have to get into each other's world. We have to get into each other's business in order to reconcile with one another and make these things better.
0: Thanks, Dana. As we wind this conversation down, uh, we have so many listeners and viewers who will watch this who are parents. And, Right, right in our own conference, we have Nolan Davis, who some of you know him. Uh, his, his dad is Assistant Commissioner Ryan Davis, uh, who's, who's married to Kristen. And Nolan recently organized a children Black Lives Matter March in St. Louis. He's only eight years old. And he made national news, more than 700 people showed up. So what kind of conversations, for the three of you that are parents, what kind of conversations on race and social justice are you having with your own kids and the impact that, that they can make, even, even though they're young, on creating change? Marcus, why don't we start with you?
1: So I've had conversations at all ends of the spectrum with my son. He's 13. Well, I have one. Uh, I was 22 and one was 13. But uh, my 13-year-old, uh, it was devastating around the Ahmaud Ar- Arbery and George Floyd times because as I told Harry and in our conversation it was twice in about a three-week span that my son had to look at me watching TV and say dad why they kill that black dude in the middle of the street like that because you know it's all over the news and I wasn't really equipped to answer those questions you know I mean I had to as a father but um, I had to shelve my anger and tell him like bad things happen and there's bad people out there um, but in contrast to that this is where you can make a difference, right? And this is where I need you to make a difference if you want this to not happen again. And so just teaching people about grace and teaching people about love a little bit, you know, I try, too many men don't are afraid to use the word love at times and show their feelings. And I tell my son, it's okay to do that, right? And so just teaching him, and I think Dana has touched on this multiple times about this generation, the old generation to now, I think, uh, and you're, I'm wearing this shirt, so it's going to kind of summarize what I'm saying. Our definition of what love is has to expand, right? It has to expand beyond "I love my family." Some people are like, Man, all I—if all I do is take care of me and mine, I'm good." No, no, it's now at a point where you have to take care of you and yours, and the kid across the street, and the kid down the block, and the person who's in a in a uh, in a relationship that you think they shouldn't be in that type of relationship or whatever it is that was in your little small box of who you think you should love, that has to expand. Now, how we do that, it comes through understanding, comes through empathy, uh, maybe coming through church, it may be coming through conversations. You you can expand that and build that love muscle up in your own way. But if we stay in the box, there were people in the 1960s, I mean, uh, um, interracial marriage was just legalized in what, 67? So before that, what, 50 years ago, people thought that that wasn't, people shouldn't love that way. We now think that's ridiculous. And so from now till later, from from then till now, and from now moving forward, we just have to continue expanding and people have to challenge themselves. Am I really loving people like I say I am? Or am I only loving the people that have the same thoughts as myself? And so to answer your question is I think as parents, that's what I tell my son is, you know, there are bad people. There's going to, there's there's people that are going to do things that make you frustrated. Do not paint the entire race or religion or whatever because of that one person's actions. And if you really want to make a change, you're going to have to love bigger than the example you just saw. Of whatever that negative example was, and just trying to
4: challenge or challenge my child with that. Harry. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm the old guy here. My kids are all grown. My 24-year-old son, his roommate in college was African-American. My daughter, who's 30 plus, does missionary work in Africa. Um, my oldest son is married and his wife just gave her, did a bone marrow transplant to somebody to save somebody's life. My kids are teaching me, is what I'm saying. You know, they're they're amazing people. We do run a large camp here at our church. We have about a thousand kids come to our camp every summer and we on purpose bus in kids from the inner city, we on purpose bus in uh, kids from the large refugee population in South St. Louis uh, because we're trying to not force feed but to make sure we're not just staying in our little ghetto, our little white ghetto, if you know what I mean by that, that we're not just staying all encircled in our own way and so we try to do that by example, by inclusion, by reaching out beyond our own borders. We did do camp two years in a row in Ferguson at a church there as well Um, because, so we're trying to do it that way. Like I said, my kids are growing and My kids are teaching me, frankly, as, as a, a, an older guy. And, uh, but, but as a, as a, you know, in, in terms of where we're going other places, we're trying to do it by example. When, when we went to Ferguson, we went to those police departments, I grabbed 15, 20 college kids and said, you're going with me. And this is what we're doing. And some of them didn't want to go. Some of them didn't want to go to the police department because they're mad at the police right now. I said, I don't care if you're mad. We're going to go because we're gonna figure out what Marcus was just saying, how do we love somebody that's different than us or somebody that's made us mad? And well, I'm afraid to go to Ferguson and I would drive them around and say, well, that building was on fire when I was here four years ago. And that building over there didn't exist because it got burnt to the ground and now they're feeling nervous. And I'm like, I'm glad you're feeling nervous. We have to learn, we have to grow. We have to figure out how to love the people that are around us. And, and so that's what we've been attempting to do. And like I said, my own personal children are teaching me.
0: Dana.
3: Well, you know, our, our oldest son is, is a, is a teenager and, and um, he just, he just got his driver's license and he's driving. And, and so uh, our other children are a lot younger than him. So the, the gap is 16, then, then seven, five, two, and newborn. So, so we, we've got a little bit of a gap there. And so it's two different things that we're teaching, but we're, it's the same thing. We're just teaching it two different ways. And, and I think you know, when, when, I, when we talk to our teenage African-American son who just started driving right in the middle of, 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 of this, what, what, what we're dealing with, okay? You know, that, that conversation, number one, always starts with honesty. And, and we have to explain to him that uh, although you are the son of a Division I coach in a community in which both your parents are probably well-known, there is a stigma that has been created that comes with being African-American. And, and, and we teach him that in order for him to two things. Number one, be the part of, of, the, of the generation that destroys that stigma, right? And then also, so he can understand how to maneuver with that stigma that's been placed on him, because that's really important. And, and whether or not uh, uh, others want to admit it, he has to operate in a different way than maybe his white friend, right? I mean, that's just the truth. And, and there's just certain things that he cannot engage in due to the fact of the, the, the natural stigma that has been placed on African Americans. And so uh, those conversations can become hard, but but you have to be honest and you have to tell the truth because you don't want him going out thinking, something that's not real and then in terms of our smaller children you know it was really it was really um it was challenging for us as parents because our seven-year-old caught a glimpse of things on television and um it was hard not for that to happen because it was literally all over the place and um you know he didn't know the details but but he did ask us what was going on and I have to be honest, my wife and I, we could not answer him for probably more than a week because emotionally we were not prepared to answer him because we, 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 we want to give them the, the, the truth in a logic way. We, we don't want to be emotional in our teachings. We, we, we want to be level-headed at the same time. We, we want to be honest and we want to try to meet him where where he is at that age. And so basically what we ended up doing was we explained to him, uh, he's got a friend in our community uh, who, who, who is, who's not an African-American, but what we explained to him that they were, they were both created differently, but their values can still be the same. And, and those values should be love and respect and honor and, and things of that nature although they are different because I think one of the worst things we can teach is colorblind. I think it you have to accept the fact that we all are different shades, but it, it, that, that should not be a reason uh, that you're treated differently just because you're a different shade. And so I think when you're dealing with that, that age group, they understand that, like they can see that they're, Different colors, but at the same time, their values as human beings should be the same. And, and then I just want to uh, add on to this. You know, I, I want to I wanna make this clear. When, when the term Black Lives Matter is being said or tweeted or, or promoted, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not that everyone is in accordance with what others may be when they say Black Lives Matter like, like, for example, when I say Black Lives Matter, I'm saying that as verbiage that comes out of my heart. I'm not trying to be um, someone who, who wants to engage in, in in necessarily what the movement stands for. I have not educated myself on the entire movement of Black Lives Matter, because that's what that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when I look at an African American male or an African American female, they matter to me. I'm not trying to be uh, someone that gets uh, uh, a big following on social media and things of that nature. So, so when we teach our children the meaning of Black Lives Matter, what we're saying to them is, although they, there may be a stigma out there that makes you feel as if your complexion makes you feel less valuable, we want you to know that you matter to us. And that's the same message I use with our players. And so I think part of the issue with a lot of this is the education part. They're not, we're still trying to be at odds over this, right? When someone says black lives matter, then the next individual says all lives matter. Well, They're trying to be at odds over something that does not need a odd. It, it, it just, we're just trying to, emphasize a group that we feel has been oppressed, okay? And so, uh, or if you hear someone say Black Lives Matter, then they say, well, well why don't Black Lives Matter to, to, to Black people, okay, uh, due to maybe some type of uh, um, statistical homicide rate in a city, right? And, 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 and I think that it has to be understood that Black Lives Matter for most of us is not something that is looking for a battle. It's something that is looking for empathy. And and I think that you would have to be, have your head completely in the sand if you want to stand here in America in 2020 and say that black lives have always mattered. Because just, I guess back in the 60s would have been, what is that Um, 1960, we're in 2020, you're talking 60 years ago. We were fighting for civil rights, just to be treated civilly, right? So, 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 so to have a to have an understanding of of what the mindset is in which the word matters means is we fought to be treated civilly. Now we're fighting to be treated equally. So, so what we're saying is we matter too, right? And 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 so you you, you have to. You have to understand that you want to stay away from the odds of Black Lives Matter. And and that is something that, in my opinion, has been disheartening, disheartening for me and disheartening for my family, that if you stand up and have enough courage to actually say Black Lives Matter, it gets challenged. And, And that is disappointing considering the history of Black lives. And there's no secret to that.
0: Appreciate telly, telly, I
1: know we got to go, please. Well, I, I, I'll be great. No,
0: absolutely. <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead, Marcus. But,
1: so we talked about this Black Lives Matter with Harry as well. And I think everybody may have a different interpretation of what it means when they say it. For me, it just, you know, along with what Dana just said, it means my life should matter enough that if someone violates my freedoms or it takes my life, they will be held accountable, right? So when people respond with, well, it doesn't matter in the Black neighborhoods. If a Black person kills another Black person, they end up going to jail, right? Like What, what was happening was the, the, the reason of Black Lives Matter was because many people were seeing that Black people were being killed. And not only that, in unjust ways, oftentimes unarmed, but then the person who killed them was just not being charged. And so it was like, I should matter enough to where there needs to be accountability for taking my life. But I would encourage everyone. And Coach Ford said this as well. So many people talk about this. Google is very easy. It's on all of our phones. If you just go to the Black Lives Matter website, you would be surprised at their statements. When it said they have a part that says, what we believe. When I tell you it is about peace, it's very pro-LGBTQ. It's very uh, uh, unity-based. They have about 20 different statements. that says, we believe this. If you read that, you would say why am i mad at this group like this sounds like the mission statement of a pretty awesome organization what has happened is you see some people the news which has divided many of us will find somebody breaking a window and say black lives matter and then you attach that memory with that statement and if you knew what the actual mission and uh the mission statement of black lives matter and their uh and and their what we believe points you would know that that person is acting out of context. He's not representing. Just like, uh, uh, it, it, like she said earlier, there's always extremists of any group. You can't judge them by that. And so I would encourage everyone if they're watching this to wonder what that means to just take three minutes out of your day, go to the website and see what, they, uh, see what the own website says they believe. Now, for me, like Coach Ford, I, I just say, when I say it oftentimes, I'm just asking for accountability, which I think most of us are. But the actual mission is actually pretty cool.
0: Thank you, Marcus and Dana, for clarifying that. Can I take
2: it, uh, like a small piggyback?
0: Yeah. Go ahead, Gabby. Okay, obviously I have no
2: kids. Go me. Um, but no, that's something like, I always have a little eyes upon me um, being a person in the community. You have kids that like, kids are really blunt. They'll ask whatever questions, but I have little cousins and little cousins are like, what's all lives matter? And I'm like, you don't speak that. And how I have to explain it in a very technical way, is think of a bunch of houses. All of those houses matter. All of those houses matter. If one catches on fire though, that house is now demanding importance over the other ones. Put out that fire. Not everybody in the community, everybody in the community should go and help that person in that like, home. The black community or any oppressed like, people, is that house on fire? Yes, all those houses in that neighborhood are very important. But they're not on fire right now. They don't need that attention. So that's how I explain it to my younger cousins and family members. I also explain it to like just young kids that just don't get it. So it's just how you look at it. Not saying that all people don't matter, just saying that some people need a little bit more attention. We need all to get to the same playing field. Not all of us are there yet.
0: Thank you, Gabby. That's a a great uh, analogy that you just shared. And thank you to the three of you for clarifying that because, um, you know, I can just speak to my own experiences. I, I can't tell you how many people I've argued with <laughs> over what this phrase actually represents and, and what the movement stands for. And you get people arguing with you over it and it's very disheartening, so.
3: Hey, Kelly, just to end, I, I know and, and it is, and, and this is one of the things that frustrates me the most is the odds that jump up when you say Black Lives Matter. And, and, and you know, my wife said, she saw a post one time when there was a Boston uh, Marathon that was bombed and people said, Boston strong. No one starts saying Chicago strong too. I mean, Chicago wasn't under attack. And, and now think about this. I want everyone to, to, to think to themselves, what other race or what other word creates such an odds than Black Lives Matter. Literally, I don't know if there's anything else in our nation that we have all rallied around ever that creates as many challenges against it than when someone simply says the words Black Lives Matter. And to me, that alone says it all. You don't even have to go any further because At the end of the day, when we were attacked on 9-11, and there's a comedian that talks about this, the the verbiage for 9-11 is never forget, right? Well, slavery, we're supposed to forget that. And and I can go down the line of the odds against any type of um, movement in terms of the African-American fight or the African-American progress. And that to me is something that I would always be open to conversation with anyone to have a better understanding of, because at the end of the day, we're not, anyone that says that is not asking for a combative conversation. They're they're just simply making a statement. And that's one statement that really gets under a lot of people's skin for whatever reason.
0: So true. I'd like to leave everyone um, with a quote by John Lewis and and we all know who he is. He's a lion of the civil rights movement and and recently just passed away. And he was known for getting in in good trouble and necessary trouble. And he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times um, that was released the day of his funeral. And I'm gonna quote what he said. He said, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love, and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now it is your turn to let freedom ring. In closing, I I would encourage and and the conference would encourage everyone to choose action over observation. Uh, A heartfelt thanks to Gabby, to Dana, to Marcus, to Harry. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your honesty today. Thank you for educating. And thank you for your courage. And thank you for continuing to speak up. And for those that are listening and watching, we encourage you to continue the discussion on Twitter. You can use the hashtag OneValley.